My son Joel is a lot like I am. We love playing with words. We love playing on words. And oftentimes, he's twisting the things that I'm saying. Um, and I need to go back and wonder, did the thing that he said actually made sense? And we had one of those early in the week. He says to me, this is random. We're riding from school. I'm driving. He's sitting in the passenger seat next to me. And he says, Dad, you know, you can teach an old dog new tricks. Sorry, no, you can't teach an old dog new tricks, but you can trick an old dog. <laughs> and it's one of those things that after, I don't, before I even react, I must think, what does that actually mean? But I'd like to teach you this morning a trick that a teacher taught me at school. Not that I'm implying that any of you are old dogs by any means. <laughs> but I had this teacher that taught me how to do a comprehension. You know, when you used to be at school, for those of us that used to be at school a while back, there's a story, and then there are these questions that come up about the story. Begripstuts um, in Afrikaans. And I had this teacher that said to me, before you even read the story, read the questions. And it didn't make sense to me at first, until I started doing it. And for those of you that are still studying and that do have that kind of thing, um, and if there are any teachers here, I'd say I'd recommend that you try this one out. Because what happens is, as you read the questions, you start to understand what those things are that you need to be looking for in the story, because that's what they're looking for. And this morning for my message, we're going to be reading from Psalm 89, from verse 1 to 4. But before we read the story, I'm going to ask you some questions. And actually, so like Brad said, we're using this Advent calendar, and we decided to take up the challenge of just preaching on whatever comes up on that day on the calendar. Um, and then I, I saw that Psalm 89 was on for today. And when I read the scripture, I was like, oh my word. What did we get ourselves in for? And so literally, I just had a whole lot of questions. And so I thought, okay, that seems like a good outline for my sermon. I'm just going to put my questions on a slide and we'll get there together. Firstly, who was Ethan the Ezraite? What is a mascal? What is the evidence of God's great mercy? And what do mercy and faithfulness actually mean? What is this promise that the Lord has made? And a big one for me was, what do these verses in Psalms have to do with Christmas? But what promises has God made you? And have you ever felt like God has abandoned His promises? I'm going to be reading from Psalm 89 from verse 1 to 4. I'm reading it from the God's Word translation. You can follow in your own Bibles or you can follow on the screen. Psalm 89 verse 1 to 4. A mascal by Ethan the Ezraite. I will sing forever about the evidence of your mercy, O Lord. I will tell about your faithfulness to every generation. I said, your mercy will last forever. Your faithfulness stands firm in the heavens. You said, I have made a promise to my chosen one. I swore this oath to my servant, David. I will make your dynasty continue forever. I built your throne to last throughout every generation. Lord, I pray now that the words of my mouth 
and the thoughts of my and our hearts will be pleasing and will be acceptable to you, our rock and redeemer. Good morning. For those of you who haven't met me yet, my name is Grant and I'm one of the pastors here. And this message today kicks off our Christmas Advent sermon series, which is entitled Advent The journey to Jesus. Now, I don't want to give away too much because actually this message connects very strongly to the message that I'm going to be preaching on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day on the 24th and 25th of this month. But like any wise man, and I was contemplating whether I should be politically correct and say wise person, you know, because we've got the wise men in the, in the, the biblical accounts. And I came across a saying once, and again, like I said, I love words. And this word that I heard, this little phrase, was so powerful for me. I think I saw it on a bumper sticker years ago. And it says, wise men still seek the Lord. Wise men still seek the Lord. And it's so deep, it's so ambiguous and powerful And I was thinking of saying wise people, but it wouldn't have quite the same ring to it. And ladies, I'm going to respectfully say, um, you'll just need to get over it. (laughs) And I'll tell you why I say so. You know, the Bible refers to us as the sons of God. and That's all of us. So ladies, you need to be happy being the sons of God. And I think it's only fair because us men need to live with being the bride of Christ. (laughs) So I think we'll call it, we'll call it quits. (laughs) But like any wise person, our journey to God often starts a long time before we actually meet Him. I'm going to say that again. Our journey to God often starts a long time before we meet Him. This passage of Scripture was written by Ethan the Israelite hundreds of years before Jesus was born. And already then the nation of Israel was on a journey to Jesus Hundreds of years before that. The wise men, the magi that we read in the Christmas story, had to leave months before the time to get to the stable to meet Jesus for the first time. And likewise, me and you, we're on a journey to Jesus long before we actually met him. I'd like to promote again like Brad did. This calendar, I want to encourage you, there are some, like Brad said, there are some in the foyer. Take them, stick them on your fridge, and day by day, go through reading the scriptures as together through the month of December, we journey to Jesus. But I also want to raise attention, maybe as a little bit of an aside, and those of you that have been here for the last month or two will know that we've been trying to give appreciation, gratitude, and thanks and honor to those people that serve our body. And I want to draw attention to a devotion that gets sent out most days in the week. Um, Neville Votberg, who was in our 8 o'clock service, coordinates this. And between Neville, Roland, and Shelley, who are two of our pastors, they send out these audio devotions, which are anywhere between 5 and 8 minutes long, via WhatsApp to anyone who will hear it. I'd like to see by show of hands, is there anyone here that receives those devotions? Oh, wow, quite a lot of you. You can put down your hands. Thank you so much. And so even though they are not here because they've been in different services, I would like to honor them for doing that faithfully 
and diligently week in, week out by putting our hands together and saying thank you to them. And if you do see them, I want to encourage you to just say thank you. It takes time, it takes effort, and it takes prayer and preparation to hear from God what he's wanting to say. And a special thank you also to Pastor John Broom, who is often our super sub um, when one of them can't make it. But then also for the month of December, and a big highlight is that next week, Sunday, the 10th of December, we'll be having a baptismal service. It started out as one and I, my experience in this tells me that one becomes two, becomes five, becomes often, you never know how much. And so that's exciting. And so pray that even in this week, God would speak to someone who is contemplating taking that step of obedience and those that have indicated that God would keep them. And then on the 17th, in the past, we've taken our cattles outside. We've taken our cattles elsewhere. This year, cattles are coming home with this being our home in this auditorium. So on the 17th of December, the bands, the worship teams, they've been working hard already to prepare for that. At 9 o'clock in the morning and at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, we'll be having our carols services here. And after both of those services, we don't quite have the facilities for a picnic. So we're calling it a park off. (laughs) We're going to use whatever space we've got available. Bring your camping chairs, um, bean bags, picnic blankets, what have you. We'll be selling Budavos rolls. We'll be selling soft serves. There'll be some free popcorn. We'll be selling coffee. There'll be tea for free. Um, Come with your family and friends. Join us in singing carols. And then join us in just a lekkergeers after that at the 9 o'clock service and at the 4 o'clock service. That will happen after both of those services. And then, like I mentioned, the 24th and the 25th, will be our Christmas Eve and Christmas Day services, and you can find all those times on the Advent calendar. Coming back to today's scripture, Psalm 89, verse 1 to 4. Now, we're only looking at four verses today, but the psalm in its entirety consists of 52 verses. Put up your hand if you're happy I'm not preaching on all 52 today. (laughs) At the time of writing that psalm, was for those who acknowledge the house of David as their legitimate ruler. And any time they went through a crisis, that would have been a suitable time to sing this psalm. Remember, the psalms were songs. The book of psalms was essentially the hymn book, the song book of the nation of Israel. And a little while later, we're going to look at when it's suitable for you and me as Christians to sing it and why. But for now, I want to go back to our list of questions Because the questions are the outline of my message. Who was Ethan the Ezraite? He was a songwriter, an author. Other than Psalm 89, Ethan the Ezraite, shall we just call him Ethan for now? I think we'll be talking about him lots. It seems okay. Um, We'll be on a first name basis by the end of the day. Ethan is mentioned in 1 Kings 4, verse 31. He was a wise man, Nochal, in keeping with our theme of wise men. Although according to 1 Kings 4, verse 31, he wasn't wiser than Solomon was. And that's actually specifically said, because that verse is speaking about Solomon, and it goes on to say that Solomon was wiser than anyone. And then it lists a list of wise people, and Ethan, the Ezraite, is actually one of those wise people that Solomon was wiser than. A whole list of other people too. 
Anyway, Ethan writes this mascal. Cue the next question. What is a mascal? Now, there are very different understandings of this mascal, and to be honest, the term isn't really understood. Um, and people, even Greek, uh, sorry, the Hebrew scholars who try to get to the root words have struggled, and there's a few theories. The Hebrew root word is sakal, which means to have insight or to teach. So in that sense, a mascal is a teaching psalm or a teaching song. Some versions of the Bible translated as prudent or having insight, and some commentators speculate that a mascal is meant to be meditative and to impart wisdom. And so the, one of the study Bibles that I used actually had a little footnote, and it called it a contemplation, which resonates with me because I like to, when I read something, I like to sit and think about it. Hence, all the questions. In other words, we must learn something when we sing the psalm or when we read it. We must gain some wisdom, and I'm hoping to unpack from the scripture some of that wisdom this morning. The next two questions I'd like to handle together. What is this evidence of God's great mercy that Ethan is talking about in verse 1? The words mercy and faithfulness come up twice in the first two verses. So what do they actually mean? I thought of pulling together a definition of the word mercy. And a few years ago, someone gave me this description, or rather contrast between mercy and grace, because it always used to confuse me. Grace and mercy, often we use them synonymously. And when they explained it to me in this way, it actually helped me to understand. Grace is me getting something that I don't deserve. Mercy is me not getting something that I do deserve, as in punishment or chastisement. And so they often intertwined, and very often there's an overlap. But as I went to different sources to try and get a nice comprehensive definition of mercy, and it's often translated differently in different versions of the Bible, love You know those scriptures that says the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever? Others will translate it as his love or his kindness or even his loving kindness endures forever. Grace, favor, pity, compassion. And obviously mercy is very closely connected to forgiveness. But biblical mercy is broader and deeper than just forgiveness. The English word mercy translates Several Hebrew words, and I'm not going to try and pronounce them all. I'm not as brave as Brad was a few weeks ago with the Greek. But one of them asserts mercy as God's gracious gift. The very basic Hebrew word for mercy is the plural of womb. And it connects mercy to a womb emotion. Basically, what a mother instinctively feels for the child of a womb. This is how God feels about us. And you know how mothers are about their children. Ever heard of that, that mother bear syndrome? That's how God feels about you. He has a special place in his, I don't even want to say a heart, special place in his ear for us as his children. Finally, one of the last Hebrew words for mercy is that loyal love of covenant. And I'm going to ask you to pin that word covenant for later in which the later period almost becomes exclusively God's mercy to forgive and to save, like we've been singing about. 
And these words shape the many dimensions of mercy that we see in the New Testament. But what Ethan mentions here is evidence of God's great mercy. And so I searched the Old Testament for evidence of this mercy as we defined it. And I found it first in Moses. In Exodus chapter 33 verse 19. The backstory is Moses asks God to show him his glory. And God answers, and this is God's answer in Exodus 33, verse 19. I will let all my goodness pass in front of you. And there I will call out my name, the Lord. I will be kind to anyone I want to. I will be merciful to anyone I want to. Is there anyone here that's experienced the kindness of God? Anyone here that's experienced the mercy of God? I find it interesting that the mercy of God is closely connected to the glory of God in this passage. We see it also in David, another writer of Psalms. This David would throw himself utterly at the mercy of God. Remember when David sinned and committed adultery with Bathsheba? He wrote Psalm 51 as a confession, as a a pouring out of his heart to the Lord, asking God for mercy and forgiveness. Verse 1 of Psalm 51, David says, Have pity on me, my God, in keeping with your mercy, in keeping with your unlimited compassion, wipe out my rebellious acts. And then Jeremiah, also known as the weeping prophet, in one of the darkest times in Israel's history, Jeremiah writes and pens one of the darkest and probably most despairing verses in the Bible. In the book of Lamentations, chapter 3 becomes the heart of this lament, where the pain is the most exposed and hope seems almost lost. Anyone been there? Just remember the context for the nation of Israel was that They were taken out of their land. Their land was taken away from them. They are exiles in a foreign land. And there seems to be no hope, no end in sight. Jeremiah pens these words in Lamentations 3, verse 19 to 24. Remember my suffering and my aimless wandering, the wormwood and poison. My soul continues to remember these things and is so discouraged. The reason I can still find hope is that I keep this one thing in mind, the Lord's mercy. He says the reason I can still find hope is because I keep the Lord's mercy in mind. We're not completely wiped out. His compassion is never limited. It is new every morning and his faithfulness is great. Pin the word faithfulness. My soul can say, the Lord is my lot in life. That is why I find my hope in Him. Evidence of the Lord's mercy. Verse 1 and 2 talk about the evidence of His mercy. It talks about His faithfulness. And again, when the question of faithfulness came up, I was like, okay, What does faithfulness actually mean? What is the faithfulness of God? And I went about defining it. I found a very useful um, article on the Gospel Coalition that basically defined God's faithfulness as His unchanging nature. God being absolutely true to His word. 
God has promised as we've celebrated this morning salvation to his people and God will keep his promises forever and all God's people say amen. Amen. God keeps his promises. Ethan says in verse 1, I will tell about your faithfulness to every generation. Verse 2, he says, I said your mercy will last forever. And now our definition of mercy is expanded. Your love, your kindness, your loving kindness will last forever. Your grace will last forever. Your favor will last forever. Your compassion will last forever. Your forgiveness will last forever. Your faithfulness stands firm in the heaven. Now that we've defined his faithfulness, your unchanging nature stands firm. You are true to your word. Your promised salvation stands firm in the heavens. The fact that you keep your promises stands firm. And that pretty much covers verse 1 and verse 2 of Psalm 89. You might notice, if you've been paying careful attention, I've made a little gap between verse 1 and 2 and verse 3 and 4. Because 1 and 2... And I think Ethan is so clever in doing this. Spells out the character of God. Before he's going to tell us about this promise, this covenant. Because if we know that God is merciful. If we know that God is faithful. If we know that God keeps his promises. Then when he makes a promise, which we're going to read about in verse 3. We know that God will keep his promises or his covenant. So verse 1 and 2 is about his character. Verse 3 and 4 is about the covenant. And let's have a look at what this covenant is. One writer said that the Old Testament is more than just a history of Israel. It's really a history of the covenant in which God revealed little by little his character and his plans and his purposes for humans. And most of us Christians, Bible scholars, recognize several major covenants in the Old Testament where God promises to do something. After the flood, God makes a covenant with Noah. Later in Genesis 12, God makes a covenant with Abram. In Exodus, God makes a covenant with Israel regarding their use of the promised land. And long story short, like I've already referred to, due to disobedience at times, They lived in the land but were oppressed and at other times they were completely exiled from the land. But again, in books like Isaiah and Jeremiah, God promises to bring them back to the land and fulfills his promise in Ezra and Nehemiah. Why? Because when God makes a promise, he always fulfills his promise. One such promise we find in 2 Samuel. And that's the promise that this young guy, Ethan, is referring to. God makes this promise, this covenant with David, and this is the one that he's referring to in verse 3. God's covenant promise to David is that his throne will last forever. You must remember, this is hundreds of years before Jesus, but it's part of the nation of Israel's journey to Jesus, which would culminate in the advent So in 2 Samuel chapter 7 from verse 8 to 16, this is actually Nathan, the prophet that comes to speak to David. Remember Nathan? Remember when David was caught in adultery? Nathan was the one who came to share the parable about him being a sinful man. 2 Samuel 7 verse 8 says, Now this is what you will say to my servant David. This is what the Lord of armies says. 
I took you from the pasture where you followed sheep so that you could be the leader of my people Israel. I was with you wherever you went and I destroyed all your enemies in front of you. I will make your name famous like the names of the greatest people on earth. I will make a place for my people Israel and plant them there. They will live in their own place and not be troubled anymore. The wicked will no longer oppress them as they used to do. Ever since I appointed judges to rule my people Israel. So I will give you peace with all your enemies. I, the Lord, tell you that I will make a house for you. Verse 12. When the time comes for you to lie down in death with your ancestors, I will send one of your descendants, one who will come from you. I will establish his kingdom. He will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. If he sins, I will punish him with a rod and with blows inflicted by people. But I will never stop showing him my love, as I did to Saul, whom I took out of your way. Your royal house, David, will remain in my presence forever. Your throne will be established forever. And in these verses, we also find the clue as to what Psalm 89 has to do with Christmas. Because if we follow Ethan's train of thought to its logical conclusion, in the Old Testament, God promises David that one of his own descendants, that through one of his own descendants, David's throne would be established forever, and that promise was fulfilled in the New Testament. And who was that descendant? I was hoping for a little bit more festivity. Who was that descendant? Jesus. In the Old Testament, God promised Jesus, and in the New Testament, God's promise is fulfilled. And that's very important for us to understand in our journey to Jesus. Because like I mentioned earlier, very often we have to go through a long journey before we actually meet Jesus face to face. Remember, at this stage, Ethan doesn't know who this descendant is going to be. And he'll never find out in his lifetime. I think that's so important. Because I think it's also one of the reasons why he spent that first few verses highlighting God's character. God is merciful and God is faithful. God is merciful and God is faithful. So when God makes a promise, it will be fulfilled. Does that change if it doesn't happen in my lifetime? No. Because God is still faithful. When we read about the Advent in the New Testament, we read about people like Simeon and Anna who have been waiting for the coming of the Lord and they have the blessing of seeing it happen in their lifetime. But think of the generations before them that was waiting for a Messiah to come and save them. The fact that he didn't come in their lifetime didn't change God's character or the truth about God's faithfulness. And even though verse 4 is talking about things that must happen in the distant future, because of the character of God and his proven track record, Ethan knows and believes that God will keep his promises. And you and I can also rest in that hope. Next question. What promises has God made you? 
You will often see me on the days that I'm not preaching, sitting in front here with a book like this. This is my one from last year. But with a book like this, writing things down. And after the first week or two or month of me being here, I realized that the worship team were afraid of this book because they thought I was sitting evaluating how well or not they were leading. I don't know if the pastors suspected that I was evaluating their sermons. But actually, this is my journal. And this is where I write the things that I sense God is saying to me. I've been through a number of journals over the years. But I brought this one today specifically because it was at about the beginning of last year. And if you know anything about my story, you will know that the beginning of last year was a very tumultuous part and period in my life, our lives as a family, where we didn't know where God was leading us to. But I had this sense to get to know, learn, read, study the promises of God as found in Scripture. And just claim them, hold on to them, cling to them as I was trusting Him for direction moving forward. So I started writing them down one by one and as I would add to the list, I'd reflect on them all as a collective. 19 January 2022. In a list at the back of my journal that I've just simply entitled God's Promises. Isaiah 41 verse 10. Don't be afraid because I am with you. Don't be intimidated. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will support you with my victorious right hand. Do you know how encouraged I felt? Not only then, but this week when I went back to my journal and saw how God had proven himself. A couple of weeks later, Isaiah 26 verse 3. With perfect peace, you will protect those whose minds cannot be changed because they trust you. 27 January 2022. The Lord is the one who is going ahead of you. He will be with you. He won't abandon you or leave you. So don't be afraid. Don't be terrified. I can go through the whole list, but for time, I won't. I can tell you from my experience that God keeps his promises. Now, there are many promises that God has given me that I haven't seen fulfilled yet. And from what I see in Scripture, there is a chance Some of them I won't even see in my lifetime. But it doesn't change God's character because He is merciful, He is gracious, He is kind, He is compassionate, He has pity on us, and He is faithful. When God says it, it will happen. Have you ever felt like God has abandoned His promises? Have you ever felt like you know what the Bible says? You know what's supposed to happen. But when you look around you, you feel like Jeremiah. You know that God has a plan to prosper you and not to harm you and to give you hope and a future. But when you look around you, you feel like you're still in exile. Those circumstances don't change God's character. Those circumstances don't change the truth of the fact that God is faithful and he is merciful towards you. I believe that there's lots that we can learn from Ethan, the Israelite. I'd like to just pull those all together and leave it with you as an encouragement. Maybe you want to read the rest of Psalm 89. 
Firstly, the fact that we can read Psalm 89 is because Ethan wrote it down. Thanks, Ethan. Because if he didn't, we wouldn't have it. And I, wanna, I think there's something we can learn there. Write stuff down. I know I've mentioned this to us before. Um, I'm a self-confessed overthinker. And I got some advice from our psychologist a while back. To when I went to him and we said, listen, doc, we got all these things happening. I'm not coping at the moment. And he said, okay, what's going on? I just like told him everything. And he says, his advice to me at the end of the session was, write it down and come back and see me. And once I had written it down, I realized, firstly, it wasn't as much as I thought it was. But even just writing it down, all of a sudden it didn't seem as scary anymore. And so if you're an underthinker, and there are some of them amongst us, I would encourage you to read. All the librarians say amen. (laughs) We've got a library here that's open after the service. Use it. But reading stimulates your mind and it engages your brain. If you're an underthinker, read. But if you're an overthinker like me, write. Not only does it crystallize your thoughts, but you're able to go back almost two years later like I did. And it's such an encouragement to your faith to see where you were and to see where God has brought you. Write things down. Journal them. And Ethan wrote a mascal. Maybe write a mascal. What was a mascal? A contemplation. Write about the stuff that you're thinking about. What are the stuff that we should think about? Well, what did Ethan do? He thought about God's mercies. He thought about God's grace. He thought about God's love. He thought about God's faithfulness. And then, I will tell about your faithfulness to every generation. Tell people. Tell people what God has done in your life. Tell people what He's doing. That might be the encouragement that they need. That might be that thing that they need to be lived out in practice in front of them so that their souls can be saved. Think about the promises of God. What promises from God's word has he give you? Where do you find about the promises of God? You find it in the Bible. Read the Bible. Study it. Memorize it. Meditate on it. And then, of course, do what it says. But think about the promises of God. Cling to them. Claim them. Hold on to them. Why? Because God is faithful and he will keep his promises. But also, in addition to the word of God, trust that promise that God has given to you with that small, still voice that's in your heart. If you've ever received a promise like that, you'll know what I'm talking about. We had it in the time when we were just coming out of seminary, going, to, going into ministry, into a very challenging situation in a lot of ways, but particularly financially. And God gave my wife this promise especially at the time when she needed to give up a job to go and study to prepare for ministry. God gave her just this one promise. I will take care of you. And there were many times where we looked around us and the circumstances didn't feel like it was going to happen. But I can tell you today that God was true and faithful to his promise. What is that promise that God has given to you that you are clinging to, but you're actually looking around you at the circumstances and thinking, I don't know if this is going to happen. God remains faithful. 
trust in the character of God. Know that he always keeps his promises. Earlier I mentioned that at any time the Israelites went through a crisis, that it would have been suitable for them to sing this psalm. As Christians, we too have the privilege of singing this psalm, but we have the benefit of hindsight to know that in Jesus, in Jesus, God has kept his promises to David, displaying his steadfast mercy and faithfulness. And as this psalm reassured God's people of the Old Testament, so it reassures Christians that God's steadfast love, his mercy and his faithfulness are a solid foundation for the promise to David, even if it feels like God has abandoned his promise. But what if you are still on that journey to Jesus and haven't met him yet? You know, one of the things that I've learned in the last few years, which changed the way I thought, you know, oftentimes we think our discipleship journey starts when we meet Jesus. But God in his grace and mercy is at work in our lives, even before that point where we've come face to face and decided to accept his gracious gift of forgiveness. God has been on a journey with you, whether you know it or not. But that journey needs to culminate. The wise men traveled for months. Ethan wrote this hundreds of years before Jesus came. It must culminate in standing in front of Jesus and saying, Lord, I acknowledge that you made me in your image. I acknowledge that I'm fallen, sinful, and that image has been tarnished. I believe that Jesus was born as a baby, grew up, died for my sins, and now I commit myself to following you. Your life has been a journey to get you to that point. Early on I mentioned about the faithfulness of God, and I used a source And I found this paragraph that I thought would be an apt way for me to close this message. Nothing in heaven or on earth can prevent God from accomplishing all he has promised his people through Jesus Christ. This reliability of God should be a great source of comfort and strength for God's people. As we repeatedly fail and go through trials and suffering. Lord, this morning we thank you that we have the gift of your written word, your printed word, your word in its digital formats, Father God, but that we can read for ourselves what Ethan the Ezraite wrote hundreds of years ago. And we thank you for the encouragement that we can draw from it. Lord, we pray now that you would constantly reveal to us your mercies, your faithfulness, your grace, your love, your forgiveness. And that in view of that mercy, we would respond by offering our lives to you. We thank you for the journey that we have been on. And for those of us that have committed our lives to you, Lord, that we can now be on a journey not to Jesus, but a journey with Jesus. And Lord, we pray for someone here today who is still on that journey of discovering you, I thank you for your love and your mercy. That Psalm 23 says, follows us, pursues us, 
until you find us, Lord. We thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy, and your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen.